In the Fuzzy Memories podcast, we celebrate the good, the rad, and the fugly of the 80s and 90s. We're three latchkey kids who made it out alive. And in each episode, we break down all the culture that popped one year at a time. Whether it's the birth of legends. I'm Lyme disease free today and I have Whitney Houston and MTV to thank. (laughs) Or audacious moves. Imagine also the the poor Golden Gate Bridge. You turn 75 and people have a party on you. I don't want that. Or even confusing PSAs. In the stop, drop, and roll. I mean, we would, I assume as an adult, I would catch on fire weekly. All the time! (laughs) We've got a take that will make you laugh. We've also got thoughts on all sorts of random phenomena and the most unmitigated of golf. Why sharks can't be trusted, people can't be trusted, and rivers can't be trusted. (laughs) It's collusion. It's of the highest degree! Uh Uh-huh. You were counseling me to start my remarks with, first of all, bitch. <laughs> that one, everyone in that room would have snapped to attention. It's going to be basically coffee lids, shark revenge, and then maybe like Matt gets. <laughs> we need to do something about him. Join us every other Wednesday to celebrate the hits, the misses, and the misfits of the weirdest decades. If I could tell my 14-year-old self from 1990 that I would be eating in a cheesecake factory in, in Beverly, Beverly Hills, I'd be like, we did it. We, we did it, Joe. We did it. <laughs> Listen and subscribe to Fuzzy Memories on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and your favorite podcast platform. Hello, and welcome to Broads and Books. I'm Amy. And I'm Erin, and this is episode number 78, Turn to Hate. Turn to Hate. This is by a fella named Orville Peck. Great name. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the song itself is, it's about not letting sorrow turn to hate. That's one of the lines at the end. And I really liked that. I liked the idea of like characters or people being tempted to the dark side, yes. you might say turning to hate or and or refusing to turn to hate and a little bit about Orville Peck in case you didn't know oh I don't know much at all really (laughs) Orville Peck is a sort of country Americana singer and it's a stage name and he wears a fringed mask over his face have you ever seen a picture of him no he never takes his mask off okay it's always this like fringe thing so no one's seen it there's all this speculation about who he might be because he's mentioned being in a punk band before this and so people are like checking out his tattoos and like trying to figure oh. it out so it's a whole big mystery he's also gay and his songs reflect that which is kind of interesting in the country field yeah i would say it's often dominated by some conservative tradition yes some conservative politics absolutely orville peck says no no i'm here. not on my watch <laughs> no not on his watch at all <laughs> i'm laughing because your face was just like i don't I don't know what to say to this. I don't know how to follow. I don't know where to go with that. I mean, because honestly, when you said the fringe thing, I went Sia for a second. (laughs) And so then I was imagining, you know, that my mind just took over with a black and white like wig. And so what I want listeners to do, stop this right now. Mm hmm. And I want you to stop this on the podcast player. But first, let me tell you what you're going to do. You're going to go to a web browser. Any old web browser will do. <laughs> go to a web browser. So specific. <laughs> any old browser will do. Look up Orville Peck. Look up the images. Mm-hmm. Do that. Do that. And you'll understand what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. And you'll understand why he's an intriguing fella. It's on my list to yeah. do after we get done recording. Oh, you're not going to do it right now? I guess I can, <laughs> but that might delay. I guess that's that would, true. That would be a nice interlude. A group activity, yeah. like all of us all go of us together, together and do this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, we don't have to do that. Okay, you can wait. It's fine. fine. All right. Yeah. That's fine. All right. That's fine. Well, so like you mentioned, our theme is either refusing to turn to hate or embracing hate. Embracing hate. However you want to look at it. Yeah. So I want to know, is there a job that you could never do because you would hate Full on, bring on the hate every minute of it. Call center. (laughs) I just, multiple reasons why. One, I hate the phone. Just generally, I can't stand the phone. We've talked about this before, that when my phone rings, it's just a nice little burst of Joan Jet. Mm -hmm. Because I don't answer that phone. No. I don't care who it is. I'm not going to answer it. Mm -mm. 
So a job focused on the phone mm-hmm. would be very, very difficult. Mm-hmm. Also, bad. I don't like a lot of people. Mm. So just random people, strangers calling me, Mm-mm. I don't like that. And I feel like a call center, they're always angry. That's the thing. That's the other thing is I don't want to hear dumb complaints. I don't want to have to like pretend that I care about your, you know, internet is not working right now. I don't care. Yeah, I don't. No, I'm mm-hmm. just working through my shift. And then I'm never going to think of you ever again. I mean, I'm getting paid to care and I still don't care. (laughs) (laughs) Fix your own modem, Karen. I don't care. Yes. I agree. Yeah, that's no. It did make me think, didn't you in one of our first episodes say something similar that you would not do well? No, you would do well as a call center representative, but you would hate it. Yeah. No, I think I I admitted that I would be okay at first and then I would hit a break point and it would happen fast yeah and that's I would true. just turn like yeah. escorted by security out of the building mm-hmm. fast mm-hmm. yeah because i did i worked in a call center but it was the opposite where we were calling people to do surveys Oof. for the iowa department of public health mm-hmm. and other people mm-hmm. that had hired our organization um but that was fun because you were trying to convince the people and it was just kind of i didn't there must have been something about my voice that people often felt like they could just talk to me. Maybe. So Maybe that's why so many people like us. They yes. like your voice, Erin. <laughs> yeah, that's and they're it. Just- sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I worked as a telemarketer for maybe a couple weeks in yeah. my freshman year of college, and it was just murder. I couldn't handle it, and yeah. I couldn't handle like trying to sell people stuff. Yeah. That was another outbound thing. And yeah. Either one. No. It's just not my lot in life, Erin. No. I just can't do well, it. Hopefully you'll never have to do that. Man, I hope not. I mean, Unless things go terribly yeah, awry. Things take a real hard left turn. I mean, I do okay. have to support three podcasts now. So if I need an extra job, I'm going to have to make sure it's not mm-hmm. surrounding a phone and or yeah. phone activity. Yeah. Yeah. Because these podcasts are going to eat me out of house and home. I Yeah. You do have mouths to feed. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Erin, mm-hmm. is there, you know, thinking about when you were younger, mm-hmm. things that you intensely disliked, perhaps mm-hmm. even hated, is there something that you hated when you were younger mm-hmm. that you enjoy or like now? Yes. I think that, and this might be the case for you too, actually. Mm. I think because I was so interested in reading and books and that, yeah. that I ignored some other natural interests that I didn't realize I had and I had convinced myself I was bad at. Like I grew up thinking I was bad at math and thinking I was yeah. bad with numbers. And I actually really oh enjoy God. that. I love an Excel spreadsheet. That's your I love damn day. Being alone with numbers, just Ooh. by myself, putting them together, putting together that stuff. I love it. But if you had told me that even really into college, you know, and I think because I had believed that about myself, it shut down certain maybe yeah. career options because I was like, well, no, I'm not good at that. or that's And now not- people come to you for help with numbers. Yes. Because Isn't a lot of weird? people need help with numbers. And you are like, I love me some numbers. I do. I do. I love being by myself hmm. in my office mm-hmm. with an Excel spreadsheet yep. and some numbers that are not organized. <laughs> you just start saying numbers out loud, like yeah. the count on Sesame Street. Like, One. It's like two. <laughs> do you just do that in your office? Yeah. <laughs> I was going to ask you were going to try it? I was going to do a number, and then I was like, it's not even going to come close. And Amy already did it, so I'm just going to back out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's, yeah, that's a big twist from when you were younger, huh? Yeah. yeah. I just don't think, you know, but it's like reading. I mean, yeah. you and I, where I can get in a zone, and all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, I was reading for like two hours. And that's the way it is for me when I work on stuff like that. Like, yeah. All of a sudden, I'm like, oh, gosh, I got to, you know. It's been four hours. I need to do something else or I have to go get the kids from school. They're probably standing outside. Like, <laughs> like, what's your mom doing? She's playing with numbers. Yeah, she's doing the number thing. Doing some of those numbers. Yeah. Hmm. So, well, in that same vein, is there a food that you thought that you would hate, but it turns out you actually love it? Well, I think there's two things to note here. One, I'm a bad vegan. And part of that is because the the actual fruits and vegetables that I enjoy are very limited. Yes. Okay. Um, I don't like berries. I don't like a lot of things that have texture mm-hmm. that are fruits and vegetables. Also, growing up, our vegetables were only corn mm-hmm. and green beans from mm-hmm. a can. Mm-hmm. So very limited palate. I thought for sure when I heard about Brussels sprouts that they would be disgusting. Mm-hmm. And they are one of my favorite things now. I love them. 
And it's so weird to think about that. Like, why? What yeah. is it about it? I, I will say I put a lot of olive oil on it. I fry the hell out of them. Well, yeah. But they're tasty. Huh. They're tasty little things that young Amy would have been like, who are you? Don't eat that. And why are you putting that in your mouth, you weirdo? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that felt like a weird sweaty balls moment. <laughs> it really did. <laughs> My younger self. Don't put that in your mouth. Don't put that in your mouth, you weirdo. <laughs> Well, you know what? I need to try them because I'm still with the younger Aaron that's like, I don't want anything really? to do with a Brussels sprout. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I know. I know. I've been tempted a few times <laughs> to put it in my mouth, but I haven't. <laughs> Sometime I'm going to get you to put some sprouts in your mouth and we'll see what happens. All right. From <laughs> I trust you, so I will let it happen. <laughs> It's true that I mean it doesn't sound good by Mm-mm. any means. You look at them, they don't look great. Mm-mm. They're tasty. Who came up with that name? I don't know. Somebody yeah. named Brussels, yeah, or somebody from Brussels, yeah. And I was like, why sprouted? Sprouts? And I'm gonna eat them. Yeah, like why would you want to put something that sprouts in your mouth? I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> nope, I sure don't. <laughs> <laughs> Oh boy, on that note of yeah. putting things in your mouth. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, so if you hate something mm-hmm. very strongly mm-hmm. and maybe you turn to hate maybe over a particular person or particular group mm-hmm. or something, maybe you're even thinking about revenge. Mm-hmm. So do you ever have revenge fantasies and is there one you could share? Yes, Ooh. but... Mine are not, like, I don't think I've ever had, like, a really specific about someone revenge fantasy. I think I have a lot of, like, vague ones. Like, I've always wanted to have, like, a pretty moment revenge style. Pretty moment. Pretty moment? Pretty pretty woman moment. Pretty woman. Yes, yes, yes. Revenge moment where you're like, Uh make a mistake. Yeah. I don't know in what context that would happen for me, but I think about it. The other one I have all the time is like someone speeds by me really fast and then they're pulled over up, you know, like the karma type. Yeah, sure. I think about that a lot, like really vague ones. Like Uh I hope that that, you know, just little annoyances, like someone's right up on you in line and you're like, I hope that, you know, you fall on the ice outside and then they do, you know. (laughs) And they break their hip and it's responsible because you wished revenge upon them. I did, Yes. I get that. I have a lot of those, too. And I often have, like, just dreams where I'm screaming at nameless people and faceless people. (laughs) I don't know what's happening, but I feel very into this moment. I feel very good. Yeah. Yeah, mine are always, like, I think I like the idea of a revenge fantasy where they just are so totally, like, there's no way for them to to get out of it like they know that they're wrong like that's the big part for me is like i don't just want to be able to yell at you i want you to understand that you are wrong like have the full realization yes that you really messed up oh man that's perfect Mm -hmm. that's ultimate fantasy for them to like yeah i don't have it about one specific Mm -mm. thing it's more just vague it's when specific things happen i might think someday someday mister you're gonna be thinking about this yes which is probably not true your mind Yeah, because people don't really change their minds very much. But like, God, that's a wonderful fantasy. It is. Well done. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, I wish my dreams would turn to that versus just screaming because I wake up tired. I was going to say there was something cathartic in it, but yeah, I could there see is, how that would be there exhausting. Is, but yeah, like I wake up just like, <sighs> like out of breath. And I'm like, did I scream in my sleep? That did. Was I, I screaming I, out loud? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the cats don't. Yeah, they're probably screaming too. I don't know because they don't look at me funny. Well, anyway. Yeah. They're all participating. They've got your back. <laughs> they're like, whatever's oh, happening. Yeah, they're like my background, like posse mm-hmm. ready to attack. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you're going to mess with my human? Yeah. Here we go. Yeah. Okay. Here's some cat screams. Now that would be a revenge fantasy to have the podcast backing me up in a fight. Yes. Whoa. I, okay, having seen all three of your cats in person <laughs> on a number of occasions, I feel as though seeing them come at someone yeah. in a revenge type of way would be terrifying. I mean, because sometimes I turn a corner and all three of them are just there and that's terrifying. Like, oh God, how did this happen? Yeah. How did I end up with all of you? And just from Ziggy's personality and yes. the few times I've seen you have to intervene. Yes. He's a tiny asshole. He is so such a asshole. He could just really, really yes. make some havoc. If I could turn that assholeness to someone else besides me in this house, that would be wonderful. That would be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. Maybe that's what you, 
he's young. Let's start now. Young. Let's train him. Yes. To be a revenge cat. Oh, my God. All right, Ziggy. He's okay, actively he's... sleeping, <laughs> which is not a good first lesson. But you know what? He's he's absorbing this right now. And... Or is this a good lesson? This oh. is infuriating. This I'm trying is infuriating. to talk to you and you are sleeping. Yes. That is great revenge right Meanwhile, there. Meanwhile, there are moments where I'm trying to work and make money for this damn household mm-hmm. and you are trying to eat my earbuds and that's not helpful. No. Maybe he's already he's Maybe. already on to something. Maybe he is. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Because I feel the way that his ears are, he can hear us. He's choosing not to open his eyes. <laughs> You're absolutely right. He's mm-hmm. actively listening. Mm-hmm. But pretending if he was, to be asleep. If he was sleeping, he'd have his head down mm-hmm. upon the Yeah, bed. this is a very weird position this to hold a- your head. This is not <laughs> relaxing. I'm on to you. Okay, I'm on to you. I feel like I you. need to take a picture just so we can demonstrate to our listeners. Like, yeah. this is not. This is not sleeping. Yeah. This is active listening and yep. pretending to be asleep. All right, listeners, we'll share that with you. Yeah, because no. Oh, goodness. Well, thinking about characters turning to hate or perhaps mm-hmm. having the temptation to hurt, turn to hate or for revenge, I've got a fiction pick that's a doozy. Okay. It came out in January of this year. Okay. It's called Riot Baby Ooh. by Tochi Anyabuchi. Okay. And you find out right away that the main character, one of the main characters, Ella, she has a power. She can do lots of different things. She can read minds. She can sort of see what's coming. She can move things with her mind. And she struggles when she's younger to control it because it's tied to her emotions, to anger, Mm. to, you know, rage, Mm -hmm. um, to grief, which she often has because of who she is and the world that she's living in. Um, her younger brother, Kevin, is born in the middle of the 1992 L.A. riots. Mm. And after that, they move out of California and they grow up in Harlem. Until one day, as they're a little bit older, they see Sean Bell killed by police on TV. And this was the 2006 death where cops fired like 50 times into the guy's car. Yeah, And after that... Ella is so overcome with emotions and the, the, the power that she has that she disappears. So then Kevin's alone, and he's a young black boy in New York, and that means that he comes up against the NYPD quite a bit mm. until he is put in prison. Then we move into a sort of plausible future where Kevin is released from prison, and Watts in California has become a sort of corporate at-home prison, and everyone's got tiny chips in their thumbs to control their parole. But then Ella comes back and she has control over her powers and things get potentially crazy. Mm. So I chose it for this theme because Ella and Kevin both are just sort of exhausted with all the cruelty of the world, the injustice of the world. And as much power as Ella has, she can't always protect her brother, not from racism, not from violence in our system. Mm -hmm. So, you know, she has this power and she has all this grief and this anger and this emotion. And what can she do with it? There's every reason really for her to turn to hate to attack the individuals in the system uh you know white america just as a whole in this book and and i think uh in general is always sort of pushing black people to forgive and to forget like oh slavery was so long ago get over it to to let jim crow go that was so long ago to move on from police shootings that happen all the time Mm -hmm. but white america is often full of hate themselves Mm -hmm. so what's fascinating in this book it's a very short book and you're tearing through it it's really good but you're putting yourself in Ella and Kevin's place Mm. with this power to really F some shit up and you start thinking what would you do and it leads to a very powerful ending where that question becomes paramount like what would you do so I I recommend it for that theme I recommend it for you to get to the end and kind of really consider like huh if I could do all the stuff that Ella could do would I just tear this whole thing down what would I do? Mm-hmm. Um, Tochi Anibuchi, he's a writer of young adult novels and short stories. And from his bio, he's worked in criminal justice, oh. the tech industry, and immigration law. Wow. <laughs> and then also in his official bio, he says he prays every day for a new album from System of a Down. <laughs> that was unexpected. Yes. And I love that that's actually all one sentence in his full bio, that he's worked in these three areas and he prays every day for this album. <laughs> That made me a big fan of his. I really like that combination in his bio, as well as this incredible book. And yeah, I think he is one to watch. I think this book should go on your... I think I finished this in one day, like just in a couple hours. Like it's that short, but it's also that compelling and intense as well. Interesting. Yes. Okay. I'm going to put that on the list. It sounds great. Well, uh, 
The fiction pick for me this week, it's a mystery thriller. Oh. And it was published in June of 2020, and it just recently won the Goodreads Choice Award for Best Mystery and Thriller. Oh. It's called The Guest List by Lucy. Ah, I've been seeing this. Yeah, yeah. holy. So mm-hmm. she's written quite a few other things. This is actually the first time I've read anything by her. It was the first time that I kind of, you know, jumped into a book by her. So, um, and I enjoyed it. She is definitely a master. Um, I think that mystery thriller can be one of those areas we've talked about this that can sometimes end up being formulaic and it can be, especially for people that read it all the time, it can be hard to surprise them Mm -hmm. or create a compelling, interesting mystery and not sort of compromise the plot or compromise the characters. Um, and I think that she does amazing at that. So, this takes place, the wedding of the year is about to take place off the coast of Ireland. Wedding of the year. The wedding of the year. We've got two uh, basically celebrities that are going to get married. And they ha- this wedding has been orchestrated down to the tiniest detail because their celebrity status and everybody wants an invite. But it's going to be on this private island. So basically, unless you're invited or in you know th- the press that they specifically want there, no one else has access or is going to get to it. This sounds like a Scientology wedding. Right. Yeah. So, because of that, these the celebrity couple, the people that they have known in their celebrity lives, of course, are invited. But then also, it's a wedding, so they've got family, they've got old friends there, and it's on this island. And part of the reason that they get to use the island is because the people that own it actually own like a hotel, and they're trying to get this out. Like they want publicity for it, so they make this deal with this couple to do this. So. Everything should be perfect, beautiful. Everybody's working their hardest to make it great. Normal wedding stuff happens. We got some drinking games the night before. We've got jealousy. We've got (laughs) some petty remarks. Lots of pretending everything's fine. Typical wedding. Sure. And then you find a dead body. Mm, And that kind of throws a wrench Mm -mm. in the whole wedding situation. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's on an island where you had to be invited. So it sort of narrows down the suspects right away. Sure does. To the guest list. Mm. That's the title. So honestly, it's a great murder mystery plot from there. Mm-hmm. Um, it is compelling. The characters are compelling. It's definitely something that you read very quickly, which happens a lot with mystery thriller because you want to get to it. Um, but I, I liked how she chose to reveal uh, the ending. I like how she kind of had us rooting at different points for possibly the killer or other mm-hmm. people that maybe aren't what they seem. And I picked it for this theme because it's clear, I think, that someone did not turn away from hate mm. at the end of this. Embrace Someone it fully. went straight on into hate. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of a revenge fantasy okay. situation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And like I said, who knows? You might even end up rooting for the murderer. Ooh. Feel kind of vindicated interesting yes but great like i said i hadn't read anything by her but Mm. i would just based on that recommend her she it was it was good hmm Mm -hmm. that brings up i hadn't really thought about the element of revenge when we brought this up yeah and that yeah that is a wonderful like sort of manifestation of turning to hate where you might actually understand it there's so many things about turning to hate like turning to white nationalism or something like that whereas you know if you you got a scenario like that. Yeah. You might be able to get behind it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I think there's that we know a lot of examples in our lives or we're able to sympathize with people. And like you said in your book, you mm-hmm. know, the question is really what would you do with that yeah. power? And yeah. I think that that's, a, that's what came to my mind a lot with this idea of turn to hate is like in these situations, where would I go? What yeah. would I think? Mm-hmm. You know, what would I do? If I had that option, would I take it? Yeah. So. Or would you just, you know, scream at people in your dreams? Like I do. Or create a cat posse. Or create a cat posse. And I think they're all viable options. <laughs> Which, by the way, he's actually sleeping now. So yeah. he's tuned us out. Because we started talking about books, and he's like, that's dumb. No, I'm not. You were yeah. talking about me. That was interesting. That was interesting. So, also a narcissist. So that's good. <laughs> I mean, aren't all cats narcissists? I think so. Yeah. By nature. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. They don't believe in self-sacrifice. Mm-mm. Yeah, there's no reason. No. No reason for that. I wonder, too, like, because we had to remove your coat from under Ziggy earlier. Yes. Like, he was just trying to wipe all of his allergens all over that coat. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I don't believe it was, like, murderous, like the old Todd cat. No. No. I felt like it was more... Well, now I'm questioning. Yeah. Now, now that, that we've, we've put him in a different light. Through, I wasn't yeah. even thinking he was nefarious. I just mm-hmm. thought he was just kind of being Ziggy. But yeah. now I'm wondering if he's getting away with a lot of stuff by oh being God. Ziggy. Mm-hmm. And by being so adorable. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he was kind of curled up cutely. He was, but also, but he knew on he something could be I'm going to put murder. on my body. Yeah, oh, yeah. No, at least some terrible hives. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you would think him being in quarantine and all, he'd be happy to see another human. Mm-mm. Ungrateful. He wants little you bastard to himself. Yeah, I don't. I don't like that because yeah, it's getting it's getting scary. Yeah, <laughs> it's not getting great. Yeah. So for uh, other genre, yeah, books, I have an author that was recommended to us from Callie White, oh. who we talked to earlier yes. this summer. Yes, we sure did. And she sent us a, a name of an author that she's like, you guys would be interested. I checked her out, and her name is Liz Lenz. She is based in Iowa, like us. Yes, love and that. she writes a newsletter called Men Yell at Me. Which is a wonderful, like every once in a while I look in my email and there's a note from men yell at me and it gives me a nice little chortle. Yeah. So this book that she wrote is called Godland, a story of faith, loss and renewal in middle America. Mm -hmm. And this came out last year, 2019. And I think that's sort of hard to describe the genre here. There's a little bit of memoir. There's Mm -hmm. a little bit of reporting. There's some essay-ish kind of writing. And some real sort of just grappling with her own beliefs, how she was raised, but also a bigger idea. She has long considered herself a Christian, even to the point of starting her own church with her uh, uh, former husband and friends. But around the time of the 2016 election, Liz is really trying to figure out, like, what is going on with faith? Like, what has happened to it? How and why has it come to be tied with politics and this very particular strain of politics? Right. And what does that mean? So in this book, Liz visits small towns in Iowa and the Midwest, sort of exploring what's happening in very small town churches, in sort of bigger churches. She even visits a mega church in uh, Minnesota to explore what's going on there. And along the way, her life is falling apart. Her marriage is breaking up. Um, He was a Trump guy. She was definitely not. Um, Her church is combusting. The election of 2016 shows just sort of how dangerous this new world of faith has become with evangelicals flocking behind Trump. So she has this perspective that's really refreshing and sort of urgent. And she talks about how in the religious community, which I hadn't really thought about because I have not been religious for a long time, haven't gone to church in decades. Mm -hmm. Um, She talks about a sort of pink ghetto in churches where women can't really be leaders. They can be in charge of the nursery. They can be in charge of, you know, background kind of stuff and Mm -hmm. nothing else. And how that sort of translates to women's other behavior, political behavior, behavior at home. She talks about guns. She talks about sports. She talks about Midwestern stereotypes versus realities, uh, racism in the church, homophobia in the church, and food. She talks a lot about casseroles and hot dishes, which is great. Yeah. I recognized a lot of that, of what she was talking about. Now, I chose it for this theme because I think it's, you and I have talked about this so many times, Erin. It is so, so frustrating seeing the hypocrisy of people who claim to be faithful and religious and loving but have aligned with politics of hate. Mm -hmm. And she doesn't shy away from that. She's really trying to figure out what happened there. Like, why is this happening? How can this hypocrisy be happening and Mm -hmm. continue to happen? Right. And she also says, at the same time, you can't stereotype all religious folks. You know, many understand there's been this terrible alliance and they're trying to fight against it within Mm -hmm. the faithful community. And sometimes media stereotypes make it even worse until we're two sides just hating the idea of each other without really knowing the real people. Mm -hmm. So she's a great writer. Uh, Like I said, I'm not religious and I don't believe, but she made me understand those that do a little bit better. Um, I think that just by tackling this topic head on, it was so refreshing because I think we see it talked around or talked about, Mm -hmm. but often by people who don't live here, who just kind of group a lot of us together. Mm -hmm. And this from a person who is actually in that community and in the actual region Mm -hmm. uh, was really refreshing. Yeah, that sounds great. I'm going to have to sign up for that newsletter as well. Men yell at me. Yeah. It's excellent. Sounds amazing. She, uh, (laughs) there's there's a lot of anger in there, which is great. Yeah. Um, relatable. I mean, this very is relatable. on a lot of levels. Yeah. She, uh, in recent newsletters, she's talked to an epidemiologist about COVID and, oh. you know, in particular, like some of the behavior of Iowa, which for a while was number three amongst the states for cases. Yeah. We've gone down a little bit, mm-hmm. but we're still, you know, we're up there. Mm-hmm. We're winning, Erin. 
Yes, they are. <laughs> in this topsy-turvy world. Winning. Of what As terms Charlie mean. Sheen would say winning. 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 Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so she, both the frequency of what she puts out, it's at least once a week. Wow. And the uh, the, the the depth that she goes into, the, the um, you know, the writing itself, it's really impressive. Wow. Yeah. And this book okay. itself, it's very slim. It's less than 150 pages, but it really, it's great. Wow. Yeah. Excellent recommendation. Mm-hmm. Uh, for my other genre pick this week, I also picked a book that's kind of hard genre-wise yeah. to characterize. It is a fiction book, um, but the writing is is different, and it, it goes back and forth. Um, it's called The Harpy by Megan Hunter. The Harpy. Yeah. So this was just published in November 2020 by Grove Press here in the United States. It was mm-hmm. originally published in September by Picador in the UK. Oh, okay. Um, so the book opens, Lucy is a mother of two that has, like many mothers, sacrificed a lot. She sacrificed her PhD program and her working life to raise a family. She mm-hmm. really thought that that's what she wanted. And kind of by all accounts, she's making it. She's getting through. Her husband, Jake, is seemingly very devoted. She has two boys that she loves. But there's kind of something missing. And you get the idea that while it seems like she's making it, it that's all that is happening. She's making it. Um, and we quickly, quickly learn that Lucy has always been fascinated with harpies. And in fact, that's what her uh, PhD was about. So if you're unfamiliar, um, harpies play a part in Greek mythology. They're half woman, half bird. Um, in some texts, including Dante, they depict them as creatures that torture sinners in the seventh ring of hell. And then like others, like in the Odyssey with Homer, they personify them as winds, that violent beings that snatch away evildoers. But the idea is there's some kind of punishment element mm-hmm. with the harpy, that they're going to right some wrongs. I During this book, I kind of thought back, because I've heard... I grew up with that term, I guess. For sure. And I grew up with kind of a, a simple meaning of it just being like an unpleasant woman. Absolutely. I was just thinking that. Like that was yeah. that was another term for it. It's like, oh, that harpy over there. Yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so I, and it was kind of used universally for, yep. I mean, specifically female, but somebody yeah. that you didn't like. I don't think that I knew growing up this kind of revenge angle or that they were supposed to kind of avenge yeah. wrongs or punish evildoers. Um, so... We have this background knowledge of her. Mm-hmm. So that's where I say this is kind of different in genre is because we get flashbacks to her younger. We get we get present day. And we also get times where she's writing as someone else. Mm. And so in part of the present day thing, we learn that Jake has been unfaithful with a colleague who is much older. And this just devastates her. Her world just tumbles down. And we watch her transform into what her long interest has been, which is a harpy that is set on revenge. So when she's writing, she's writing as the harpy, and then she's writing present day as Lucy. So the two genres are, they're different in how they, I shouldn't say two genres, the two writing Mm -hmm. are different. Um, And that's why I picked it for other genre, because it's not a straightforward fiction. It's all fiction, but... It's just different, and yeah. and it's delightful because it's different. It's what makes the book. It's amazing, um, and like I said, a bits bits of it are written in flashback. Some are present day, but altogether, the prose really work to create this world that you sort of feel trapped in with the protagonist, mm-hmm. and you're ready. Like you take every step with her, and you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you catch yourself thinking, yeah, that's exactly what should happen. Well, yeah, he deserves it. Or, you know, as it continues every, you know, you feel relatable because you have felt this hurt just like she has. So I think it's very relatable on that level that it captures a topic that's been done a bunch, you know, that marriage can be unfulfilling, especially Mm -hmm. for females when it doesn't serve both parties or when someone loses themselves in the case of motherhood oftentimes. But it's also relatable because it's reminds you of how easy it is to get wrapped up in thinking that we are the ones that should be able to avenge wrongs or we're the ones that should be able to say to someone you did wrong and this is what you deserve Uh which is a lot of what our society and culture is wrapped up in right now with the cancel culture and things like that we're sure that we hold the power to say you did something and i'm gonna get you for it Mm -hmm. we're all like little vigilantes yes doing our own little things yeah Uh and you really get wrapped up it's a slim novel i Uh read it so fast but i was kind of amazed at how quickly I got into that mindset. 
Um, the ending is is amazing. It's really haunting and beautiful. It is. It's different. It's different than anything I've read this year. It deserves all the praise it's getting. It is. It was really good. It was fascinating. So I highly recommend. Um, the only reason I put it in other genre is just as kind of a, it's a little different. Yeah, it's yeah. just a little bit different. And I think that's what's great about it. Oh my God, it sounds so good. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, you would. I think you would really like it. It's really interesting. I was thinking more like how we heard the term harpy growing up. Yeah, and and even now I especially. Especially if women are getting involved in politics, mm-hmm. I hear that a lot. Mm-hmm. Like, ah, she sounds like a harpy. She's just harping on this over and over. Yes. And yeah. yeah. It had yeah. a very different meaning yes. when I was really digesting some of the things at the beginning when she was talking about her PhD uh-huh. and she was doing the research. I was thinking, oh man, you know, I don't think I ever put it in that context yeah. before. I think it was always, and I thought, did you ever have the definition of a harpy as being someone who was kind of slutty? Hmm, I don't know if I specifically had that one. I no. think that was part really? of my definition too. Interesting. Isn't that weird? Yeah. And I don't ever remember it. I mean, I think in college I probably heard it, you know, studying Greek mythology yeah. and things like that. But definitely my definition was of unpleasant woman. <sighs> Isn't that so frustrating if we, if the original term of harpy was meant to be someone strong and like yes. taking revenge and now it's used to cut down? Yeah. Women. Ugh. I know. Ooh, that sounds really good. Yeah, it is. I hope she turns full on harpy. Yeah. And takes her revenge. <laughs> turns to hate. Embrace lets it. Let's it happen. Yeah. Yeah. Just embrace it. We're here with you. <laughs> um, you know, I think I mentioned earlier that, uh, you know, one thing I often think of with turn to hate is like extreme politics, you know, like people turning to alt right, people turning to white nationalism, um, even going full on Nazi because mm-hmm. they're back. So for pop culture, I actually chose a podcast mm. that uh, is from the New York Times. It's called Rabbit Hole, and it's all out. It's bingeable. I believe there's eight episodes total. Um, it's appearing on a lot of uh, year-end, like, best-of lists, and in fact, that's how I found it, and okay. then I binged it really fast last week. Um, it's led by a reporter named Kevin Roos. He's a tech columnist for the New York Times, and he is obsessed with the internet and how the tools of the last decade, especially, are shaping us as a society and as individuals. Interesting. So it starts with a guy named Caleb who graduates high school and he tries college but it's just not for him and he comes home to live with his grandparents and just feels really lost doesn't know what he's going to do with his life doesn't know you know really doesn't have a lot of friends so he watches youtube all day and at first it's what many of us might see there's music videos there's movie clips there's cat videos But the recommendation sidebar in particular, which is powered by an algorithm, keeps recommending things to him and he follows them. So he dips into the Joe Rogan podcast, Mm -hmm. then starts following some of his guests who are well-known conservative personalities, follows them further and further all the way into alt-right land. And the thing is, he's not seeing anything else. He's not watching mainstream news. He's let YouTube just kind of guide him along, pull him down into this rabbit hole until he is a full-on alt-right believer, by which I mean he believes Jews are the enemy, he believes racism is a myth and that black people deserve everything they get, like all of the terrible, terrible things he's fully committed to. The first three episodes of the podcast kind of focus on Caleb and this like descent into the rabbit hole, but it also talks to the creator of this algorithm of YouTube that has created all these filter bubbles and how it was originally designed and how it's actually manifested. And then Mm. what's happened over the years as YouTube has sort of changed and tinkered with that algorithm and tried to become a more responsible provider of information. Um, Another couple episodes after Caleb's few episodes focus on a YouTube personality and the sort of general rise of this career of YouTubers and how mm-hmm. this is like a thing, especially for younger people mm-hmm. to look at and be like, I want to I want to do that. And then another couple episodes follows the QAnon rabbit hole, oh. which we've talked about that. Yeah. And this was a really interesting angle that I hadn't heard about QAnon and okay. how videos and in particular YouTube videos, especially those from providers that are very aware of the algorithm and are working around it, are using to get new followers and to create this wow. sort of community. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I chose the podcast for this theme. I think generally it's so fascinating to see how social media and internet tools are shaping us and our politics and our realities. Um, it's frustrating as hell, too. Like, we understand this, but this digs so deep into things I had no idea about. Mm-hmm. Um, this really talks about how our internet tools, like YouTube, 
are based on getting the most views, the most clicks, the most reactions. So edgy and inflammatory stuff is going to stand out. It's Mm -hmm. going to be recommended by the algorithm. Um, And some of the most vulnerable people are going to fall prey to that. You know, people who are lost. Caleb was lost. He was very confused. He was very young and he was in a bad place. And he kind of let YouTube guide him along. And these super inflammatory alt-right people took advantage of that. Mm -hmm. They're looking for people like Caleb. Um, And in this age of the internet, they have a way to reach people like him and turn him. Same with QAnon. They, in this podcast, they talked to one woman who, in the recession of 2008, she lost everything. Then in Hurricane Irma in Florida, lost everything. And again this year, the pandemic, she lost her job, lost everything. Like She is in a bad, bad place. She's very sad. She's very lost. And then a conspiracy theory comes along that explains her sadness, mm. explains that it's not her fault, that there's a shadow government and there's these corrupt leaders and it's all their fault. And here's all these other people that believe this too. So here's a community. Here's friends that will support you. Mm. And it's all based on, you know, this incredible conspiracy theory mm-hmm. that people have clung to so tightly. So I think this shows in many ways that it's very easy for people's sadness to turn to hate, especially online where it feels like there's a community for you if you do that. So I think it's uh, it's by far not a comprehensive look at sure. you know what, mm-hmm. <laughs> what our society has come to, but man, it really gives a lot of... Um, A little context for where we find ourselves and why we find ourselves in this society of filter bubbles and different realities and really talks about how technology has brought us here and really taken advantage of a lot of us. That sounds really interesting. So interesting. At first, I wasn't sure if you meant it was a fiction podcast or Mm. it was a real, but that's obviously it is when you got to the YouTube part. One of the fascinating things to this guy, Caleb, that they Mm -hmm. talked to in the first three episodes, Caleb offers up because he's eventually made his way out and Mm -hmm. he understands this was all wrong and this was terrible. And I came to this because of YouTube. Like, right. this is what happened. Okay. So he gives up to the reporters, like, four years of his search history in YouTube or his viewing history. So they literally follow him down the rabbit hole of all the videos that he's watching, which is fascinating. Like, they kind of chart the progression oh of how gosh. the algorithm has got him to, you know, these terrible, terrible right. people. And then how it got him out at the same time. Okay. So, it, Yeah. The the reporting that they did here is incredible. I mean, this is the kind of reporting that we need, you know? And right. And that, uh, it is why, you know, I think the New York Times is great. But, yeah. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Well, that should be on our list. Yes. Yes. Well, for pop culture this week, I am going to recommend a documentary mm. that was released in 2017 called Dying to Love. Mm. Or Killing to... No, it's Dying to Love. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> It might be killing to love, but I wrote down dying to love, so I'm pretty sure it's dying to love. Wow! So I'm are you doubting? It. Are you doubting yourself because yeah. there was one time you got a book title wrong yeah, a few weeks ago? Yeah, I am. Uh-huh. I am. I am. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, this is the story of Jens Soaring and Elizabeth Haysom. And if you had never heard of this, um, it took place in the 70s or 80, early 80s, um, and her parents were gruesomely murdered in their home. And these two were boyfriend, girlfriend. And it quickly becomes clear that she was involved. Oh. And that he was involved. Oh, no. And they have fled the country. But as you unwrap this documentary, you begin to realize that actually probably she was involved, but he wasn't there. He just took the fall because he thought that he could protect her by doing that. Oh, no. His dad happened to be a diplomat. And so he thought that if he took refuge in Germany of his native country. And he said that he just pled to it, that they would give him a few years. He'd be out. She'd be free. Yeah, it's this very twisted thinking. But he was also 18, 19, yeah. in love with this woman who yeah. was a little bit older and who was a master at manipulating people, who from her own brothers are was a pathological liar and really wow. good at it, who the prosecution, defense all through her own trial, proved over and over again that she lied about multiple things. There's literally no physical evidence tying him to anything. His account of events makes more sense than hers does on any day. And so there's this very interesting dynamic that happens of getting out of this bubble of love and realizing what you've done. Yeah. 
at the same time, we're also talking a lot about the judicial system mm-hmm. and some of the failures, some of the ways that it doesn't work for everyone or that maybe it works over here, but it doesn't work over here. It talks about um, parole hearings. It talks about getting pardons from governors. Um, this took uh, took place in Virginia, and they talk a lot about particularly Virginia's judicial system, which I didn't realize because um, I don't have a law background that there's different procedures in different states for things that happen in courtrooms. And Virginia has a very weird, antiquated way in the courtroom. And if you're not familiar with that, it pretty much guarantees you're going to lose. Oh, uh, because there are very minor missteps that you can make that can then invalidate whole parts of your case. So it's a very interesting look at how we're, again, states are so separate from yeah. other states. It's an interesting look at parole in different states that he ends up being incarcerated in texas so they talk a lot about that um and i just there's some very interesting elements that i think were bigger picture even than the crime but the crime itself is fascinating and they have a ton of old footage of her trial of her on the stand of interviews with her um same with him he agrees to be interviewed for the documentary so you see that she did not um so You see people on his side, on the outside, explaining why they feel like they still need to fight for him and why they believe in him. Um, It's two hours. It it goes really quickly. Um, I like it from a true crime perspective because sometimes true crime can feel kind of voyeuristic, you know, like, oh, we just see the crime and that's it. And sometimes documentaries don't even go that far. They're just like, oh, here's the crime. And they call it a documentary, but you didn't really get anything out of it. Mm -hmm. And I felt really strongly that in this one, you're left with a lot of questions more about the system than you are necessarily oh, the crime. Okay. Yeah. Um, the crime is pretty straightforward. And mm-hmm. I think you have a good idea at the end of what happened. Um, but it, it just raises some interesting questions that I think we should continually be looking at, but we talk a lot about and then never do anything about. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's an interesting, it was an interesting watch for sure. I don't know if I, I, when you were talking about her being a pathological liar, I, when I start thinking about lying, I get so like sweaty because I know that I can't like, I, I just can't be convincing. I'd be a terrible pathological liar because I wouldn't be able to. It is called killing for love. <laughs> just so you know. It's called killing, not dying, not dying to love. So it's called killing for your, love. I saw you get on your phone. And I was like, uh-oh, is there an emergency? Do we need to stop? No, you were checking your no, own work. No, because I wanted okay. to correct yeah, 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 yeah. Killing for love. Killing for love. Okay. Killing for okay. love. I don't know why I said dying for love, because he doesn't die. Okay, well. Killing you know, for love. That's all Jesus. right. You- <laughs> I tell you what, I uh, I am really good at you rewriting titles. Blame 2020. I'm going to. Just blame it, yeah. because... Also, I want to point out that the last time I messed up a title, we didn't yeah. get to have Big Acai beforehand. <gasps> and we didn't today because for some reason they were closed today. So This is a pattern. It's a pattern. You need Big Acai I need for your brain. To work. I need the superfood in my brain. <laughs> Otherwise, it doesn't work. Clearly. Oh, my God. So, again, for pop culture, <laughs> I recommended Killing for Love. <laughs> Killing for Love, which is a documentary from 2017. Killing for love. Wow. This mm-hmm. is, the, I mean, this is proof that acai works, that it, it really gets your brain mm-hmm. working at the optimal level. And now is the time to reveal to you that this has just been an hour long advertisement for acai superfood. <laughs> <laughs> Not even big acai bowl, just acai. Just acai the food is itself. Superfood. Yeah. Here we are. <laughs> Thanks for hanging in there on this infomercial. I mean, this is true. We have been thrown for a loop. We learned today. See, every Sunday we get. (laughs) Yep. 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 Ziggy the podcast is just stretched out across. Just does not give any Fs. And I love it. Yeah. No. But on a normal Sunday. Yes. Every Sunday, in fact, we have big SAE bowls. Before we record. Before we record. And that's part of our routine. And you found out this morning. That they no longer are open on Sundays. I, we're reeling. I don't know what we're going to do. Know I don't know if we're going to change recording day. Yeah. I don't know what to do. I don't either. My mind is aghast. <laughs> Can my mind be aghast? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's not. No words make sense. Oh my gosh. So, you know, someone's got to get out there and convince Big Asa to open up again, or this podcast is going to die. Yeah. It's not going to go well. Or at the very least, I'm just going to be over here listening to Amy. <laughs> I'm going to be forbidden to speak because it makes no sense. It's gibberish. 
not you were right. you were doing really well until you said the title wrong, and that's okay. And I knew it. Something you in my brain it. something was in like, your brain was like, wait a second, nope. Mm-mm. Why did I call it that? That's huh. not right. And I kept thinking, no, that doesn't make sense because he didn't die. Why mm. would they call it that? And I'm like, maybe they did call. I don't know because mm. he died, kind of in a way in prison. Oh, I- see, there you go. I just rabbit out. hole. I tuned out about a <laughs> thirty seconds ago. Like she was trying to convince herself that it was <sighs> all fine, and it's it is not, all fine. It's yeah. not. Again, if you want to find it, it's called <laughs> Killing for Love. <laughs> Good thing we don't normally tag our pop culture people yeah. on social media because this one they'd be real confused. Like, like, what, what, are, what, what did you not recommend? What we named it? That's not the title no. of our product. What did she watch? Yeah, and they'd have to put out a statement, be like, Wait. "We did not. No, <laughs> no, we don't like her. Uh, uh-uh. nope." <laughs> oh my God, yeah. Gonna have to. We're gonna have to put out a statement to Big Ass Ebola and be like, "Listen, listen, you've you got a podcast on your hands. My, you've got the future success. Yes, come this on, is on now. your shoulders. This is on your shoulders. My brain health is on <laughs> your shoulders." <laughs> Well, we'll we'll keep you listeners. We'll yes. keep you uh, up to date on mm-hmm. the big acai situation mm-hmm. and on Aaron's brain and yeah. how it's working. It's not great right now. But yeah, we'll get maybe back you're going to gonna need to you know just uh, get like a bag of dried acai or something and just you know start eating that as a snack. I don't. I guess. I don't yeah. I don't, I don't know. know. You're going to need something. I'm going to need something. Yeah. I'm going to have supplement somehow. Yeah. And I'm not mm-hmm. happy about it. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm happy about though? What? We're going to be back next Wednesday, as Hopefully always, with the right titles. Hopefully. <laughs> But in the meantime, happy reading. I'm up again. Same night, another dream. Before trying this recording thing, I didn't remember much of anything of these dreams. I didn't remember much from any of the women. And one night of doing this, and it's broken things open. The dreams are, they're in me, and they're they're coming out of me, and... To me, I am not broken. I am the most whole, most real. Their despair. I cause their despair. I wait for the word. I wait for the word. Witch. 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 Look at the mad woman in her cage. She was a woman with holes inside her. That was the heaviest factor. The final evidence. The heart of the issue. Somehow, you understand this. You. You. You hear me. Wherever you are, whatever this is, you... This isn't a dream journal anymore. It's not. That's just, it's just fact. (laughs) Because now this is, this is some sort of record. What are these dreams? Maybe there's a better question. Who are these women? Weird Woman is a Broads and Books production. All nine episodes are available January 10th. Listen and subscribe to Weird Woman on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and your favorite podcast platform. That's W-Y-R-D Woman, wherever you listen to podcasts.